chairs or cushy stools this week. Praise the Lord. So every worship leader that's been in our building has been like, oh my gosh, these are life changing. They're very excited about the not rock hard stools. Um, well, good morning, guys. Uh, so this morning we are going to continue. We're almost done in our series of going through the book of James. Um, so we are kind of coming to a close here in James chapter five. And um, you know, throughout the past weeks, we've kind of been just remarking on how James is almost like a mini summary of the Sermon on the Mount, how James is kind of continuing to expound on that and how um, there's the ways that the world has and then there's the ways that the Lord has. And so we're going to dive deeper into that this morning in James chapter 5. Um, I know Vic already prayed, but I'm just going to pray again real quick and then we're going to jump into it in verses 1 to 8. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for the freedom and the privilege to gather as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I thank you for each person here, Lord. And I just ask, would you open up our hearts and our ears um, to your word this morning, that your word would fall on good soil, that it would bear fruit in us, God. And uh, would you let your name be glorified? Amen. Amen. Um, So let's read James chapter 5, verses 1 to 8 together. Oh, sorry. Can I have the little clicker? Is there a... Thanks. You can go to the next slide in the meantime. So James chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. This is ESV up here. I'm going to read out of the, um, the Jewish Bible translation. So James 5, 1 to 8. Next, a word for the rich. Weep and wail over the hardships coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your clothes have become moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat up your flesh like fire. This is the Akarit Hayamim, the last days, and you have been storing up wealth. Listen, the wages you have fraudulently withheld from the workers who mowed your fields are calling out against you, and the outcries of those who harvested have reached the ears of Adonai Tsevaot. You have led a life of luxury and self-indulgence here on earth. In a time of slaughter, you have gone on eating to your heart's content. You have condemned, you have murdered the innocent, and they have not withstood you. So brothers, be patient until the Lord returns. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He is patient over it until it receives the fall and spring rains. You too, be patient, keep up your courage, for the Lord's return is near. Amen. Amen. So um, I think when I look at this chapter, um, I want us to kind of see some similarities here because I was reading through James 5 the other day and I was like, huh, riches have rotted, garments are moth-eaten, gold has corroded. And I was like, that sounds familiar. And we see In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus saying specifically, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he goes on to say, you know, later on that you cannot serve two masters you cannot serve God in money, right? 
Um, and so this is Jesus in the Beatitudes. He's saying, don't store up wealth here. It's going to rust. It's going to get eaten. It's going to get destroyed. You can't keep it. And if you jump back to James, it's interesting because James is saying the same thing. But now he's, he's telling this group of people, he's saying, hey, you did this. And now this is what's happening to the treasure that you have stored up on earth because they had not walked in the Lord's, they had not heeded the Lord's warning. And so it's interesting that that's kind of the context we're coming into here. And I wanted to point out a couple of things because there's, James says he's got some loaded statements here. Like this is not, um, this is not like a nice encouraging thing that he's sharing here. Uh, but he says he has like a couple of things that he's pointing out. And I'm just going to focus on a few of them today. And one of his rebukes is focused on pride or a lack of mourning over sin. The other thing that he is rebuking them for is for exploitation or essentially using and abusing other people. Um, and it, it kind of hints at it, that in their quest for wealth or riches, they're not keeping with God's commandment and Deuteronomy of how they should treat the laborers that have been hired for a day's wages. Um, and the last thing, or one of the other things he calls out is um, that they have led a life of luxury and self-indulgence on the earth. Um, but he, he points that out specifically in the context of it being the last days which I find interesting. So we're going to talk about that later. But I just want to, to, to openly you know, state that it is easy, at least for me, to read over this passage and to be like, I don't really know if that applies to me, right? Because we can't relate to like, I'm like, I haven't, I don't have any laborers, period. Like I've not withheld their wages. Like I'm like, I, I can't relate to this language or this culture or context. But I, I want to caution us that we don't just kind of like our, our tendency, our natural tendency is to bypass this and kind of just like move along to the next exciting thing in the scriptures because we can't relate to it. But this is absolutely applicable to our entire culture and generation because we are rich. You know, like all of us, we've talked about this, you know, before that like we assume that like, you know, like I look at like a whole lot of people that have a lot more money than me and I'm like, I'm not really rich, right? That's kind of our, our MO is we look at people that are like super, super wealthy, like the, you know, the 1% or, you know, however many. And we're like, I'm not rich. But actually, if you look at the whole world, we're all rich. In this room, we are all rich. Um, and there is a specific warning that the Lord has for those that are um, rich. So one of the ways that one of the places that we see that in Scripture is in Jesus's rebuke to the Church of Revelation, uh, or in Revelation to the Church of Laodicea, um, and in Revelation chapter three, he calls out the church of Laodicea and their lukewarmness. And he points out what the problem is. In verse 17, he says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes that, so that you may see. I think one of the um, one of the biggest problems, not with wealth in general, but just kind of with the the heart posture of one who's like rich, 
um, is that we don't recognize our need or our lack. We don't recognize our need for the physician. And I see this a lot in healthcare because sometimes we'll have patients come into the hospital that have no medical history. So if you look at someone on paper and they have no medical history, it could be safe to assume that, hey, maybe they're really, really healthy and maybe they truly are. Elaine's laughing because she knows how this goes. Um, Or it could be that they have nothing listed because they never see a doctor and they come in and you're looking at them and I'm like, I know you're not healthy. (laughs) Like I'm looking at your edema you got going on in your legs. I'm like, you got some heart problems. I think your blood sugar is probably pretty high. Like I can look at them and know like you might not have it diagnosed, but that certainly does not mean that you are not sick, right? And the same is true for us is that we might be kind of like just be bopping along like, yeah, I'm doing pretty great. But that's exactly the thing that Jesus warns the church in Laodicea of is like, hey, you're so comfortable. You have, you're so overly blessed that you don't actually recognize your true spiritual condition. And that's the great danger that we're being warned against here. The next um, thing I want to address is, you know, like I said, most of us probably can't relate to having laborers whose wages we have fraudulently withheld, right? I hope, I really hope no one in this room can relate to that. But that being said, like we live in a culture where it is, it's acceptable to just kind of use other people for your own gain or your own pleasure. It is widely acceptable to to use other people for, for pleasure in our sexual promiscuity, it's widely acceptable to, to kind of make connections and relations, to use other people to gain stature in your career. You know, like people build friendships and relationships off of what can you give me instead of what can I give you to bless and glorify God together. Like that is the norm of our culture is, is we use each other. I love the verse in Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. I heard um, an interesting conversation recently between a, a nurse and a patient. And, and the nurse was asking this patient, she's like, hey, do you, don't you, you know, do you have anyone that can take you home and take care of you today? And he's like, no, I got no one. Like, there is no one I can call. I literally have no one. You know, and, and that sound, like it sounds, it's heartbreaking to hear that. But then he goes on and he explains, he's like, I live a selfish life and I like it that way. And, and he was, I was like, kind of like, oh, okay. I give him points for honesty, right? Because most people won't just blatantly admit, hey, I'm alone because I don't like being around other people and I don't want to deal with them. But he was very open. Like this gentleman was just blatantly like, I like to live a selfish lifestyle. And so I have driven everybody around me away because I want my way and they can't, you know, that's relationships cannot thrive in that context, right? Um, but that is like, that's kind of the the state of the, the culture that we live in is that we have... Um, justified a lot of self-seeking. And I think that one of the ways that we see self-indulgence is, you know, I think that this can look like a lot of things in a lot of, to a lot of people, 
but I think that we we have an entire culture of how how many of you guys the last time you expressed that you know if you express to other people maybe that you're stressed or that you're having a hard week what kind of advice do you get just generally speaking let's say you go to work you go to school you know what what type of advice would you hear I'm, I'm actually asking if anyone wants to throw out anything yeah. <laughs> Get some ice cream. <laughs> okay. What else? Get some rest. Yes. Maybe some me time. Hmm? And I, I'm poking at this a little bit with full disclosure, having believed in this very wholeheartedly. But, and I, I, will, I will say I'm not trying to knock all forms of rest and relaxation and all of that. I don't think those are bad things. I love a good spa day as much as the next person. Love massages. I love mud baths. You name it. But we live in a culture that predominantly thinks that the solution to our problems is that you need to go and, and take care of yourself. And, you know, take some time to yourself take care of yourself. You know, like, why don't you treat yourself to something? You know, like, why don't you get away from other people for a little bit? Because those toxic people, that's your problem. Where we don't acknowledge that actually sometimes sin is our problem, right? And Jesus, on the other hand, over here is saying, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Amen? And I don't think, again, I'm not saying that everything here on the left is bad, but I don't think that ultimately these two philosophies are compatible, right? Because there's, Jesus is saying there's one way to gain your life, and that's by losing it. That's by taking up your cross and following after me, not by pampering yourself. You know, like that's the solutions that the world gives and the prescription that the Lord lays out are, are very different in nature. And so I love this, that, you know, we saw that there's things that James um, calls out in in the church and or in uh, this group of people, he calls out pride, exploitation, self-indulgence. And so what are we called to then if those are the things that he's confronting? And the culture of those who follow Christ is that we are supposed to be people that mourn over sin. Like we are called to be people that actively mourn over the gap between us and the Lord. And Jesus, you know, in Matthew chapter 5 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I remember Priscilla sharing just in a recent sermon, like, something that was just a very convicting question of, like, when was the last time that you mourned over your sin? And that's kind of a startling thing to think about when you're like, oh, it's been a while. I don't know. I can't remember. I can't remember the last time I mourned over my sin. Like that's, that's like something that, that we are called as Christians to, to mourn over our own sin, to mourn over the injustices that we see in the world, the gap between man and God right now that he's not yet closed. And um, so that is what we're called to as a culture for Christianity. 
Um, and that is like Jesus ultimately fulfilled this in the best way. Even though he was without sin, he still stood in the gap for those that had it. We're also called not to um, use others, not to exploit others, but to lay down our life for our brothers and our sisters in the faith. And he, Jesus says in John chapter 15, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Again, the perfect, um, perfect example of this um, was fulfilled in Jesus as he laid down his life for us. And we are called to walk in that same way of not using, not exploiting others for what they can give to us, but laying down our lives for them. And then we see in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, instead of that kind of a lifestyle of self-indulgence, Paul and many others that have gone before us in the faith says, I count it all as loss. Like, I'm not indulging myself. I'm not living for myself any longer. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. My hope is that we would make this our prayer as well. So I want to... Um, talk here a little bit about how James shares these things. He says all these things kind of in the context of the last days. And you see this a lot, like all throughout, like the beginning of James chapter five, he's not just kind of speaking generally, but he's speaking in a specific context. He says, these, this is the last days and you've been storing up wealth. In a time of slaughter, you've gone on eating to your heart's content. So brothers, be patient until the Lord returns. And he goes on later. Again, he says, be patient. Keep up your courage for the Lord's return is near. I find this interesting um, that he talks a lot about the last days and the return of Christ because the, um, the picture that I get, and you'll have to forgive me for this one. So has anyone not seen Lord of the Rings Janine, we're going to fix that. Jefferson, Emily. All right, guys. So the story as it goes in this particular, I forget which, which part of the trilogy this was in, but there's this, this Lord Denethor that is steward over the kingdom of Gondor, right? Most selfish, evil guy ever, and he's residing in, in the place of the king. And there's his son, Faramir, and there's this tragic scene in the movie where they're going off to a battle where they are certain to be slaughtered. Like, they know that death is coming. And the king, or the Lord, is just stuffing his face. You know, his son is riding off to war, and he's just sitting there, and you see stuff dripping off. You know, you see tomatoes just gooshing down, and it's just, it's just gross. Like, it's meant to be a revolting or a disgusting sort of scene, and you just, just feel just how icky this guy is, and you're just like, oh, I don't like him. But that's what James says we're doing. He says, these are guys, these, you know, we're getting near. It is near. Wake up. You're doing that. You're eating in the day of slaughter. You're just stuffing your face. And then he says, that is what we're called to. Like, we are called to lay down our lives for our king. And so I just find that, that image very interesting or just that stark contrast. And 
all throughout scriptures, we see this exhortation and almost everywhere in the New Testament, we are warned, hey, be sober-minded, be watchful, stay awake. You don't know the day your Lord is coming. Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. You could go on and on with examples, but I just chose a few. But we are exhorted to be people that are awake. Not woke, (laughs) but awake, right? And I think that this is, so one of the things that I think about is, um, so earlier this week, like how many of you guys, when you overeat, what do you want to do immediately after that? Sleep, right? So yesterday, Priscilla and I, in honor of her dad's uh, anniversary of her passing, we went to eat dim sum at, uh, I forget the name of the restaurant, but we got some really good dim sum, and we got a lot of really good dim sum, like probably more than two people could have or should have eaten. And Priscilla, also with her allergies flaring up that day, had taken an antihistamine. So... We're driving home from dim sum, and I see her face, and I'm like, oh, no. Because her face is starting to get that look on it, like that glazed-over look when you get real sleepy. But she's driving, and so I'm slapping her. I'm like, hey, don't fall asleep yet. We're not home. And and I'm just kind of like, hey, 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 wake up, wake up, wake up. And... It's kind of, I mean, it's kind of funny, but like there's, you know, there's certain things that we eat in the natural and it makes us sleepy when we overindulge our flesh. But I would say that the same thing is true, not just of what you eat physically, but what are you feeding your ears? What are you feeding your eyes, right? What are we setting before ourselves? Because you can feed yourselves with a lot of things that will make your spirit very, very sleepy, very dull. And he's saying, hey, wake up. Wake up. Be alert. Be sober-minded. Wake up. Get out of there. Get out of it, right? I had, I remember having um, just this dream one time that was so vivid. And I remember like we went from Zion in my dream. We were in Israel and I was like, oh, I love it here. I wish I could just live here and stay here forever. And all of a sudden in my dream, it bypassed Israel, bypassed Zion. And all of a sudden we just went down this deep, dark cliff, almost like you were on a roller coaster, that like pitfall of that, like, oh, we're heading downhill. And everything was dark. It was like this black, like pitch black area with like, it was like Las Vegas where there were casinos and this and that. And I remember there was this music playing. And I remember in my dream thinking like, oh my gosh, we have got to get out of this place. We've got to get out of Babylon. You can't listen to the music or you're going to, you're never going to make it out. And I, I just felt like that is just kind of a, an exhortation for our spiritual family. Like, hey, like, what are you listening to? What are you setting before your ears? What are you setting before your eyes? David played music for King Saul and his demons fled and he felt peace. Like there is something spiritually powerful in what we hear and what we see, what we behold. That's a reality. Like we have to be mindful of that. Um, Yeah, we want to be people that stay awake. And so one of the last things, I'm sorry, I don't have a timer, so I don't actually know how I'm doing on time, but my last sermon was only 15 minutes, so I think I'm allowed to go late today. 
So how, how do we stay awake? And I know that most people, everyone probably sees fasting on the screen. They're probably like, oh no, fasting. And I want to just say, guys, I used to be the worst person in the world. I used to hate, like I was so bad at fasting. I hated it with a passion. It really didn't jive with me, right? Like I had struggled so, for many years with an eating disorder. And so I had some issues with fasting. Like I had some stuff to work out with the Lord, but this is something that Jesus doesn't say, if you fast, he says, when you fast, do this and this and this. And so I want to encourage us as a spiritual family, like that fasting is part of how we stay awake. Um, and there's, it's interesting to me that, that the rending of our hearts, the turning of our hearts back to the Lord, fasting goes right along with that spirit of weeping and mourning that we see Jesus lay out for us in Sermon on the Mount, that we see James um, encourage us to, to hold our hearts with here. And I just kind of want to wind up this thought with that Jesus ultimately is the one who has walked out all of this perfectly. Like he has laid down his life and instead of living for himself, instead of living for his own will, his own desires, his own pleasure, he lived to please his father. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And I love seeing this verse in John chapter four. It says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And, you know, when we like, when we wake up in the mornings, like, is our food to do his will? And I'm not asking that in a condemning way. I'm asking it because I know, like, I'm not there yet. But this is what we're invited into, is we're invited to join him in a taking up of our cross and in delighting ourselves of doing the will of the Father and seeking first his kingdom, that we would gain all things with it, that we would know Christ. Um. And so I just want to take some time. I'll invite Priscilla up. Um, just, you know, if we can, we're going to just take some time to respond to the Lord this morning. And I want to ask God just to give us grace that, um, that he would come and really just in any areas of our life where we think, you know, kind of like what the, the church of Laodicea is, where if any areas where we have that, that kind of like, I think, I think I'm doing pretty good, you know, but, but maybe we're not like that. The Lord in his kindness would highlight that to us. Um, and that he would give us grace just really to be people that are living, um, with hearts that are awake and alive towards him that are ready, um, for,